0: Congratulations. You just read an entire book of the Bible. Some of you, that's a first, isn't it? We won't tell. But we read the entire letter because one, it's actually the shortest letter of the epistles of Paul. But two, it really encapsulates what Paul was trying to do here. And our worship series throughout October has been about felons of the faith. We have been tracing and tracking and Discerning together the impact of people that are so vital to our faith life, both in the scriptures and in tradition and even in our current narrative of Christianity in modern day Crozet and in the world. And we come to discover that there are an alarming number of key figures who were convicted felons. Not least of all was Jesus Christ, a convicted felon on death row. Then there was Joseph, son of Jacob, who we read about in Genesis, who ended up being imprisoned. And during that time, the scriptures testify that God was with him and for him and blessing and revealing God's power and might in the midst of the prison. And we've also heard about Saul who was transformed into Paul, the author of the letter that we just heard. And as we have been exploring these facets of these wonderful people that we often forget that they had a rap sheet. We often forget that these are people with incredible prestige and power and authority, and yet. By modern standards, they would have been tainted. Their voices would have, in some cases, been silenced and nullified because they had served time in prison. And what are we supposed to do with that? Well, one of the reasons I read you the entire letter to Philemon is that it's a unique letter. I've preached on it before, but today I want us to look at it from a new angle. And this is a letter that Paul is writing to an individual. He's writing it to Philemon. And as he's doing this, generally Paul writes to a community, a church a group of people in a town or a city someplace, like to the, to the church in Corinth or to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to a group of people. But today he's very intentional. Now, I mean, certainly he also cites other people in the letter. But he refers to it to his brother, Philemon. And he's writing with a really specific intention. He has received Onesimus, which is Philemon's slave. And Now, this isn't the kind of slavery that we had historically in the United States. This is more of an economic slavery, but it did create a second tier and a class system where slaves were not equal to their owners and their masters. And so Onesimus found his way into service for Paul while Paul was being imprisoned. And we know through the scriptures that Paul was imprisoned for a length of time, at least three times, the last being in Rome. And during that, we also have testimony that other places sent one of their slaves, a slave of a church member, to be of service to Paul while he was imprisoned. That you could have servants come in if you had them, and they could help prepare your food and and deliver messages and mail that you had, that they could become part of the system to help you. And so others had done this. So the fact that Onesimus had been sent is a very real possibility. Now, some scholars get into the debate about whether or not he had fled from Philemon, And found his way to Paul. It's possible, but I don't really think that that's what the letter is really conveying. My personal opinion is that he was probably sent. We have precedent for that in scripture. But the important thing here is that something has happened between Paul, Onesimus, and Jesus Christ. That in the midst of Onesimus serving Paul, he has truly become a Christian. He has found liberation and freedom in Jesus Christ. And now Paul recognizes that there is no longer this dichotomy and this breach between the two of them, that they have now been knitted together in a whole new way. And it is on that basis that he writes to Philemon and asks him to liberate, to set Onesimus free. That's not without great cost to Philemon. You are losing your slave labor. You might be forgiving some debt that Onesimus had incurred at some point. And so Paul has to be very careful about how he approaches this. And he even says in the letter, I know that I could command you as the Apostle Paul to do this, but that's not what I want. I want to empower you as we have been empowered by God. God doesn't demand and force-feed us God's grace. Instead, God says, I have this for you. If you want it, it is yours. And if you don't want it right now, then I will offer it to you again and again and again and again and again. And perhaps one day, you will choose to accept my grace. And so we see this. It is part of the testimony of Christendom is that people choose to become part of it. Now, all four of the boys today did not really choose to be baptized. It was the will of their parents and the support of their grandparents. Now, Wyatt's a little bit more capable of saying, "Uh uh-uh. But the rest of them, they really did receive something that they don't quite understand, And it may be decades before they do. Because what has happened is that their parents have taken their baptismal vows and held them in trust. And they have said, we want you to have the benefit of the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. But we recognize that the relationship that goes along with that, the entering into the baptismal covenant, is something that they will choose for themselves later. And so for now, until these boys grow up to the point where they are ready to take onus of those vows, their parents will hold them Trust, and when the day comes and they are ready to say those vows are mine those vows the relationship the responsibility to the covenant serving as a disciple of Jesus Christ I take that for myself then all of that will be turned over to them probably through some rite of confirmation and they will take the next place in the journey they will step forward into that But regardless of whether they're ever confirmed, regardless of whether they ever join a Methodist church or any other Christian church, nothing will deprive them of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the grace that they receive today. And that's what Paul is conveying to Philemon, that Onesimus has been transformed. He has accepted Jesus Christ. And not only has that changed his heart, but it has changed mine, says Paul. My heart has been transformed. He is no longer a slave or a servant to me. He has become like my child. I love him with great affection. And that parental metaphor is very powerful and abundant in Scripture. It's why we have God the Father as one of the persons of the Trinity. It's why we have Jesus Christ as God the Son. Because the familial relationship cements for us that there is something very compelling and deeply visceral as well as spiritual to these relationships that are born from our faith. And he's asking for Philemon to choose to see Anismus differently. Don't look at him as property or a commodity or less than. Look at him as you look at me. See me in him. But more than this, he invokes over and over again the wording of see Christ in Anismus, See Jesus in him. And we have to take a moment and really pay attention to the context in which this letter is written. Paul is in prison. And if it's one of the three imprisonments, it's for a significant period of time. He certainly did overnight stints in jail as the different towns and cities tried to figure out what to do with him. But at this time, he is being held captive in prison under inhumane circumstances. He is being villainized. He is being persecuted. He is being probably physically abused not given good food and good water. And here he is, and he could retreat into the darkness of his personal circumstances. Every one of us can understand that. There are plenty of times in our lives where we recognize that things are getting tough for us. Maybe we're battling a disease. Maybe we're confronting an illness. Maybe we're struggling with our mental health. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationships in our lives. Maybe we're literally in prison. But whatever we are doing, we can retreat into the darkness It is a very natural and human thing to do, to recognize that there is just an overwhelming desire to slink back in the darkness from which we came. But that is not the way of God. God has told us over and over again, I am the light, I am your light, and you should always strive to come toward me. I will protect you from the darkness. I will lead you into a bright and beautiful future. I will help you discover the purpose that I have for you. If you will trust me and you will walk toward my light. If you will yearn for it, reach for it, and strive. And so Paul, in the midst of his own imprisonment, his own despair and suffering, reaches out through a letter to a fellow Christian countless miles away to plead for the liberation of a slave. And in doing so, he's asking for Philemon to allow his internal transformation to be complete externally. Reveal to Onesimus and to all the other people named in the letter. Reveal to all the people in your church, in your town, that you have been transformed. It's not just an internal transformation. The hymn we sang a moment ago said, Shine in my heart. But it's not a little lockbox that we keep inside so that when we feel bad, we can look inside and go, oh, it's still glowing. It's like a lighthouse that shines in the darkness and the storms no matter the season. It shines regardless of how we feel as the lighthouse keepers. We let it shine because there are people in their darkness that need to know that they have not been forgotten and forsaken. So we shine our light. And Paul says, I can do it from here, from the pits of darkness and despair, I can do it. And if I can do it, so can you. So can you. We have to remember that there are people, people that we know and love and people that we don't. And it occurred to me this morning during the chaos of worship prep and getting everything together today as I was going back over the scripture text that many of us might not know anybody in prison. We just had Kairos go into Fluvana. We might not know anybody in Fluvana or Augusta. We might not know anybody in any prison anywhere in the world personally. Some of us may never know anybody that's ever been in a prison. I think the likelihood is that one of us at least knows. There's a likelihood that one of us has even been in a prison. But here's the kicker that if we allow ourselves to say, you know, I'm uncomfortable. There's a safety in the darkness and blissful ignorance of not engaging with prison ministry. There's something wonderful about just focusing on me and my family and my closest friends, that inner circle. There's something that I need to do to just keep my sanity and stay there and just do what I have to do just to get through the day. But we are a people who profess belief in the resurrection. We are a people who proclaim to the world that the day will come when all the dead shall rise, and we yearn to be in there too. We want to triumph over death. And on that day, on the day of judgment and the day of resurrection, we believe because the scriptures say it, Jesus testifies to it in the gospel account, the apostle Paul talks about it, and Revelation says it again and again, that on that day, those of us who have embraced the grace of Jesus Christ will be invited to enter into the kingdom. And so if there are people in prison right now that are Christians, we will see them there. We will be feasting for all eternity, basking in the incredible presence of our God with people that we want to say to their face for all eternity, I couldn't take the time. I didn't want to spare the effort. I was too afraid. I was too consumed. I let my fear become my self-interest, and I would not be there for you. Do we really want to face all eternity with that? What if eternity's entrance looks like Jesus with all of these convicted felons standing there alongside him, a convicted felon saying, did you visit us? Did you do what I asked you to do? We don't realize how important those things are. We're very blessed that because of some very active brothers and sisters in Christ in our congregation that we have a prison ministry. That we are given the opportunity to do things like baking cookies for every single person, whether they are a resident or they are staff in the prison system when they go in for the Kairos weekend. We have the ability to put our prayers onto those prayer chains and to build the prayer chain as a visual testimony to the fact that they have not been forgotten or forsaken. We have these opportunities. There are those of us in our church that have been trained up and that have actually gone into the prison system to see these people and to let them know that we do not fear them, but we fear that they will be forgotten that they won't be transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, or that they will truly believe that they are everything that a penitentiary system says they are and not what God says they are. So we have these opportunities, but we don't realize just how powerful and profound they are. I came back from vacation last week and came right back into a death that had occurred, an imminent death that is still being worked out, and then one of our own in our congregation, a young man getting ready to undergo a major multi-hour surgery. And so the night before the surgery, I went to his house, and I prayed with he and his family, and I anointed him, and we talked about what it was that he wanted us to pray for. And he was like, pain-free, good prayer, good prayer. And so we received what he wanted, and we promised to pray. And his only wish, the entire prep for this surgery, was that he would get 50 cards. That's what he wanted, 50 cards. And so when I got to the house, they had them all on display, immaculately displayed. And he's like, come and see what I have. And he showed them to me and they were all hung up. And I said, well, tell me about your cards. And he said, I have cards from people I know and people I don't even know. And this one with a cat on it was sent to me by a dog. (laughs) He was very amused by what that. And there was a huge prayer chain at the bottom, just like what we did for the women of Fluvana prison. And he said, this is an entire class in third grade that's prayed for me. entire I don't even know them. I'm not even in the third grade. I don't even know them. And they prayed for me. And he showed me all of these things. And he said, every one of these is somebody who I may not even know that is, that is praying for me and that is helping me to make sure that I'm going to make it through the surgery. I was like, that is true. That's awesome. And so when I arrived the next day to be with the family during the three-hour and 15-minute surgical procedure that he underwent, I said, what was the new total? How many cards do we have? 101. He went into the surgical suite with not just 100% of what he wanted, but 200% and one extra. Is that not our God? You want 50? I'm going to give you 101. And I bet you that that young man spends the rest of his life writing prayer cards. Writing cards and telling people, I have not forgotten you. I may not have met you, but I am praying for you. And I know that this means something. I know that it is important. And so one more person recognizes that every act of kindness and compassion changes the world into Jesus Christ. One more person recognizes how glorious that is. And so many of you were part of that. So many of you sent a card, and you may have thought to yourself, Great, I spent, I don't know, depending on the card, 3 to $12 on a card, scribbled a name on it, sent a prayer in, and mailed it off. And you might have forgotten about it. But it meant the world to him. It meant the world to his family to see that they weren't alone either. Because not all of us could have been there when he went into the surgical suite. Not all of us could be with him when he's under general anesthesia. Not all of us could even go into recovery with him. But by the power of God and the power of presence, we are with him can we not be that way for people that have made horrific mistakes people who have sinned people who have suffered because of their sin and god helped them made others suffer because of their sin can we not be with those people as well can each of us not find a way to do that i'm not saying all of us need to immediately sign up for prison ministry But I am saying that I believe the Apostle Paul wants us to look at things differently. We've got to stop looking at people as a category or as a social stigma, a class. We have to start looking at people as if this is my child in God. This is my brother or sister in Jesus Christ. You are part of my family even if you don't recognize it yet. That Christ has transformed not only us and liberated us from sin and death but has changed our relationships with others. Changed our relationships. Now, these parents love their kids. Unequivocally love those kids. Take good care of those kids. But today, they have taken on yet one more thing on behalf of their beloved children. They have taken on their vows. And they have taken them on because they believe that it is worthy and trustworthy and true. And Bodie's going to go back off to California and be amazing. And Wyatt and Walker and Wade are going to go back to Rona. But they go forth embodying God's grace and the connectionalism of the United Methodist Church. They are leaving with a piece of God Almighty. They are leaving with God's grace, and they are leaving with a little flavor of Jesus Christ, courtesy of Crozet. And every time you're somewhere and you hear a baby and you think to yourself, can we go to a restaurant without them? (laughs) Or every time you're somewhere and you see somebody struggling with what looks like a rebellious child, I hope that we will respond with the same kind of love, compassion, and conviction that Paul did for Anismus. This is not just A problem. This is not just a temporary annoyance. This is not something that I don't understand and I don't want to touch. This is a human being, a beloved child of God, a being of sacred worth. And even if right now they're not displaying dignity, we're going to give it to them. We're going to give it to them, and we're going to give it to their parents. We're going to make sure that children like this, of all ages, of all levels of imprisonment, Whether it's internal or mental, whether it's physical, whether it's literally in prison, every opportunity we have, we are going to let them know that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are for them. And in whatever way we can be, we are with them. Because Jesus Christ says that to us every single day. So may we model it, may we reveal it, may it transform, may it build relationships, and may it continue to change the world for generations to come. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org. To learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.